This week, we got what was considered the most highly anticipated FOMC meeting for the Federal Reserve in the past several years, certainly this past year. And we got what was a more dovish Powell than the markets anticipated. The markets had expected that since the Fed decided to retire the word transitory when it comes to inflation, that Jerome Powell would come out in his press conference this week and be more hawkish as far as ramping up the ending of the Fed's asset purchase program and raising forward guidance for raising interest rates in the future. However, it's clear with how the markets reacted to the press conference that Powell was a lot more dovish than the market anticipated. And I'll get into that in a little bit. Now, most of the FOMC members are saying that they want to see multiple rate hikes in 2022 and in 2023. Of course, when they refer to these rate hikes, it's assumed that they're looking at raising rates each time at only 25 basis points or 0.25%. So very small rate hikes that they see coming in the future, but it's becoming clear that most Fed members want to see rate hikes in the near future to counteract the high inflation that we're seeing. Now, before we got the Fed meeting this week, we had some economic data come out. The most anticipated piece of economic data from the U.S. side was the PPI. And PPI, remember, is the producer price index, the costs that businesses see in their production. Now, we were expecting 0.5% increase in PPI for the month of November. Instead, we got a 0.8% increase in the PPI, which is a huge number for just one month, because if you annualize that, that's close to a 10% increase annualized for producer prices. And remember, these are all prices that eventually have to be passed on to the consumer if businesses want to maintain their profit margins. We So we have a 8.8% increase in 2021 overall for producer prices, and we still have one month to go. We still have to get December's reading which won't come until January. But producer prices are already up 8.8% on the year. And if you strip out food and energy, which is the core PPI index, we saw a a 0.7% increase there versus 0.4% expected. So even if if you take out food and energy, producer prices are still increasing dramatically. Now, we also got retail sales where we saw a huge miss from expectations. The expectation for the retail sales numbers of November was that we were going to get a 0.8% increase, and instead we only got a 0.3% increase in retail sales. So we didn't even get half as much as we expected we were going to get. Now, most of this is because a lot of people started their Christmas shopping in October and early November, And so a lot of the Christmas sales from the holiday season were pulled forward because a lot of people were shopping because they expected either shortages of goods that they needed for Christmas or they're expecting that prices are going to continue to go up. And that's a big part of the inflationary psychology that's going to make its way into the economy come 2022. Once people start putting off purchases until prices come down, they're going to eventually start to behave in a manner where they're going to buy things in advance in anticipation of higher prices in the future. 
And that is going to further exacerbate the inflation problem as we move forward into 2022. Now, Powell in the press conference said that the Fed is on pace to finish buying assets, perhaps by mid-March, early April. And remember, the Fed buying assets is inflationary because in order for the Fed to buy assets, they have to print the money to then go into the market and buy those assets, whether they be U.S. Treasury bonds or mortgage-backed securities. So even though they're looking to wrap up their asset purchase program by March, they're still going to continue it through March because they have to continue to buy assets. And that is going to further exacerbate the inflation problem because they're continuing to add money into the economy until March. And so even if they stop by March, the inflation problem when they start to fight it after March is going to be much worse than it is right now, which means that it's going to take even more substantial rate hikes and interest rates to fight that inflation. But the other piece of economic data that we got this week before the Fed press conference was import prices. Now, import prices increased another 0.7% last month. Now, again, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a price increase, but that's just over the course of one month. If you annualize that price increase, it comes out to over a 7% increase annually for the price of imports. And again, this is extremely important to the American economy because the American economy is extremely dependent on imports for all of the merchandise goods that we buy. All of the goods that we buy come from overseas. And so if our import prices are increasing, that is higher prices that Americans have to pay when they go into the market. But the market is really starting to recognize here that the Fed is way behind the curve when it comes to fighting inflation. Now, if you look at this week, we... We saw that uh, there was a few things that came out over the global economy. But when I look across the board, it seems that people are still clinging on to the transitory narrative when it comes to inflation. Now, yes, last week in his testimony in Congress, Powell said that the Fed is retiring the idea of transitory inflation. But it seems as if a lot of market participants still believe that commodities prices and other goods prices are going to start to come back down in 2022. But I really don't understand why people would think that because there's no evidence that points to that. Labor costs are still extremely high and continue to rise. Commodities prices are still very high. And I'll get into prices in a minute and the price reactions from the market from the FOMC meeting. But there really is no evidence that points to the idea that inflation is going to come back down to the Fed's 2% target. Now, when we look at the price reactions from the Fed's press conference this week, there was a huge rotation from growth into value stocks. So a lot of the high-flying tech stocks were really sold off this week. A lot of the more speculative stocks were sold off. And because of that, a lot of the value-oriented names that are companies with long track records for earnings really got to push up this week in price. And they really benefited from the dovishness of Jerome Powell in the press conference. Now, immediately following the Fed's announcement not to raise rates, which again is not much of an announcement because everyone knows they're not going to raise rates just yet. 
is gold went up immediately $10 after the press conference. And I was really one of the only people who expected gold to rally after the press conference. Most people were expecting in the foreign exchange markets that gold was actually going to sell off quite substantially. But instead, it rallied about 10 bucks, which is not a huge move for gold. But the fact that people bought gold after Powell's press conference shows me that some traders and some investors are starting to not believe the Fed that either they are going to fight inflation or that they can't fight inflation because they are so far behind the curve in starting their fight against inflation. But with that, gold also rallied the following day, $35, a very substantial rally for the price of gold. And the gold mining stocks followed and rallied even more heavily. Uh, Newmont Mining was up 8% on the day. Uh, Fortuna Silver Mines was up 6%. The GDX and the GDXJ, which are the gold miner indexes, were up 5%, right? And the fact that Newmont was the leader in the gold mining sector shows me that there are starting to be some institutional buyers coming into the gold mining sector. And the reason I say that is because Newmont Mining is the biggest gold producer in the world. They are the most heavily capitalized gold mining company out there. And so to the extent that we're going to start to see some of the institutional buyers coming into the gold mining sector, that is the gold mining company that provides the least amount of risk because they have the most stable operations around the world and they have tons of projects that they have ongoing throughout the world. And also a lot of institutional buyers, people don't realize, but they can't buy small uh small capitalized businesses such as small gold mining companies because their buying in and of itself would push the price up far too high and they would almost run themselves out of the market by buying very small names. So the fact that Newmont Mining was the biggest benefiting uh, stock on the day from the gold rally shows me that there are probably some institutional buyers coming in and really, that's so I expect with that to see gold to continue to rally over the next several months because institutional buyers don't typically come in and buy all at once. They do it in increments. And so if institutional buyers were coming in this Wednesday and Thursday after the Fed meeting, I expect them to continue to come back in the next several months. Uh, some of the other price movements, though, the NASDAQ was down two and a half percent after the FOMC meeting. Tech overall was down 4% this week. The Dow Jones down 300 points today. You have oil holding up at $71 a barrel. And not much reaction in the bond market, actually. But as we see, a lot of risk assets are getting sold. Again, the market is getting clobbered. And instead of getting a Santa Claus rally for the end of December, we're actually seeing a lot of selling in risk assets. And again, as I mentioned, a lot of the selling is in high growth names and more speculative stocks. And you see tons of buying in risk off stocks like consumer staples and, and uh, financials and stocks that pay high dividends. So we really are seeing the rotation back out of growth and into value stocks, which to me, again, shows me that the market is starting to get that inflation is going to be a very big problem in 2022 and in the next several years coming forward. Now, the reaction in the currency markets, we finally got a reaction that I've been expecting in the currency markets for a long time. Now, of course, the reaction over the course of one day is not that big of a move, but I expect this move to continue to happen as we move into 2022. 
But the U.S. dollar was down against the British pound and the euro pretty heavily on Thursday morning. And the Japanese yen and the Swiss franc, which are the two safe haven currencies in the foreign exchange markets, also caught a bid as we saw a lot of traders go on a flight to safety. And again, people were selling risk assets and buying safety, buying risk off assets such as gold, the Japanese yen, the Swiss franc, value stocks. So we're seeing a lot of people take risk off into the end of the year. And another reason for the rally in the euro and the British pound, especially against the U.S. dollar, is this past week before the FOMC meeting came out, the Bank of England actually made its first rate hike announcement. And the Bank of England is raising rates in Britain to 0.25%. Now, of course, this is a tiny, tiny rate hike. But it, what it is showing is that the Bank of England is now ahead of the curve in fighting inflation in the UK than the Federal Reserve is in fighting inflation in the United States. And so because interest rates went up for the British pound, the British pound is now more valuable to own because you can get a higher rate of return on your British pounds if you loan them out. And so currency traders were selling U.S. dollars and buying the British pound on this news. Now, the reason the euro rallied is because the ECB, the European Central Bank, slowed its asset purchases significantly and gave forward guidance that it's going to indicate rate hikes very soon to come in the future. So they seem to be right behind the Bank of England in raising rates to fight inflation in Europe. And so traders are buying the euro because they're anticipating rate hikes in the future, which will make their euros more valuable, especially against the U.S. dollar. Now, this does show, I mean, inflation has become a big problem all over the world. By no means is the inflation problem contained to the United States. But the reason that inflation is a problem all over the world is because of the United States. Because the United States has taken complete advantage of the privilege of owning the world's reserve currency. And so when we started to do quantitative easing and the aftermath of the 2008 financial crisis, we led many other central banks around the world down this rabbit hole of 0% interest rates. And so by the entire world bringing interest rates to zero, essentially, that has caused for inflation to occur, not just in America, but throughout the global economy. And with that, the U.S. again has been printing so much money and has been using U.S. Treasury bonds, uh, which are also IOUs, to buy goods, imported goods from all over the world. And so we're exporting our inflation overseas. But so inflation is becoming a big problem all over the world. Now, in, in some smaller market economies, there are actually normalized interest rates. But in many of the big economies, we have interest rates at or below zero. And that has really screwed up the global economy because of all the inflation that is going on. But we see that the ECB and the Bank of England are now going to start dealing with these inflation problems much sooner than the Fed is going to start dealing with the inflation problem that we have here in the United States. Now, one reason for that is because a lot of other nations are not as dependent upon import imports as we are, right? Many different countries around the globe, especially the big economy countries such as Japan, China, uh, a lot of countries in Europe, uh, 
in the UK, they actually produce a lot of merchandise goods and are able to export them throughout the rest of the world. And they either run trade surpluses or they run small trade deficits. But America runs the biggest trade deficits in the world. And so we are highly dependent on being able to purchase imports throughout the, from throughout the rest of the world. And because of that, we are much more dependent on inflation because the only way we can buy those imported goods is we have to print the money in order to buy them, right? And the U.S. government has to issue U.S. Treasury bonds in order to buy those imported goods because our country is broke and has $30 trillion of national debt. And our debt levels are much higher than other places in the world. And so that's what's going to allow places like the... the, uh, Bank of England and the ECB to start raising rates because their countries don't have as much debt as we do. And so raising rates isn't going to be anywhere near as harmful to their economies as it will be to the U.S. economy. And that is something that global economists are simply not considering right now. The reason that it's going to be so difficult for the Fed to start raising rates to fight inflation is because in doing so, they're going to create a high interest rate environment that is going to cause a lot of the faults throughout the economy. Now, one of the, uh, the, one of the factors in that is that there is actually $10 trillion of the national debt is being financed through T-bills. Now, T-bills are treasury bonds that expire within one year. So $10 trillion of the $30 trillion national debt is set to expire within the next 12 months. Now, if the Fed is really going to fight inflation by selling bonds off of their balance sheet, right, that is going to create an environment where yields on U.S. Treasuries are rising substantially, which means that when the U.S. government goes to roll over its $10 trillion of debt that expires next year, the U.S. government is going to have to pay a significantly higher rate of interest on that debt, which the government cannot afford because the government doesn't have the ability to tax its citizens anymore to collect tax revenue to afford the interest on those treasuries. And so therefore, if the government can't afford the interest on the treasuries, the only way the government can get the money to pay the interest on the treasuries is from the Federal Reserve printing it. And if the Federal Reserve has to print the money for the government to pay the interest on those those T-bills, then that means the Fed can't fight inflation because Printing money in and of itself is inflationary. Again, inflation is an expansion of the money supply and deflation is a contraction of the money supply. That is why in order to fight inflation, the Fed has to start selling bonds off of its balance sheet because the way those bonds ended up on the Fed's balance sheet is the Fed Fed printed money and used the printed money to buy the U.S. Treasury bonds. That money then went to the U.S. government where the U.S. government then doled it out to Americans in the form of welfare or stimulus checks or PPP loans, student loans, uh, mortgage uh, mortgages, you name it. But in order to reverse that, the Fed has to sell those U.S. Treasury bonds into the market and take that money out of the U.S. economy from that sale and then therefore contract the money supply. But again, they can't contract the money supply if the only way the U.S. government can pay its bills is from that printed money. Now, one of the other risk assets that sold off due to this FOMC press conference 
was cryptocurrencies. Now, Bitcoin is actually in a full-fledged bear market at this point. Remember, the high over the past uh, few months was 69000 Bitcoin now sits, as I'm speaking, at 46000 So Bitcoin sold off dramatically, lost a few thousand bucks in its price over the past two days as gold rallied and is now holding $1,805 per ounce. And again, this is showing that cryptocurrencies trade as a risk asset. Look at Ethereum. Ethereum is now at $3,800, down from the highs of $4,500. If cryptocurrencies are a safe haven, why are they selling off with all the other risk assets when all of the safe haven assets are rallying, such as gold and value stocks? It's because cryptocurrencies are a risk asset and they trade that exact way in the markets. But crypto selling off and acting as a risk asset is going to destroy the narrative that it is an inflation hedge. Because again, you have inflation hedge assets rising. Again, as I mentioned, oil is holding its price at $71 a barrel, despite the fact that the US released oil reserves the past few weeks. And despite the fact that we have Omicron worries in the economy, worrying people that that we're going to go back into shutdowns or people are going to stay home. So despite all of these tailwind, these uh, headwinds for oil, the oil market is still holding steady above $71 a barrel. But again, cryptocurrencies are selling off and acting as risk assets, which is exactly what they are. But the risk, uh, you know, a risk asset sell off, uh, you know, investors are buying gold as a safe haven, which is extremely significant because over the past year or two years, really, investors had been buying U.S. dollars as a safe haven asset. Anytime you saw risk off in the markets where you see high tech growth stocks selling off or cryptocurrencies um, or high P.E. stocks selling off, you saw people buying dollars. Now you see that the dollar, again, is under extremely heavy pressure because people are buying uh, gold and Japanese yen and Swiss francs instead of the dollar when they're going risk off. And so that shows me that investors are starting to wake up to the fact, at least in the foreign exchange markets, that the dollar is not a safe haven currency because of the enormous inflation problem that the U.S. has. And investors are starting to recognize how far behind the curve the Federal Reserve is in fighting that inflation. So to me, it's going to become a huge, uh, a huge, uh, huge um, title as we look into 2022, and people are not going to buy U.S. dollars for safety. Now, with that, other economists are shifting towards uh, raising rates before, you know, before us, despite inflation being a much bigger problem, and. You know, this is showing that the Fed's much further behind the curve, because if you look at the inflation numbers from the U.S. and you compare them to the inflation rates that are going on within Europe or the U.K., the inflation rates are actually much worse in the U.S., yet the Fed is not hiking rates now. But again, the Bank of England already started its rate hike process, and the ECB has given guidance that they're going to start their rate, rate hike process soon. So why is it that other central banks are raising rates before the U.S. when their inflation problem isn't anywhere near as bad as the U.S. 
And this is why investors are starting to figure out maybe the Fed isn't raising rates because they can't do it without destroying the economy. And so therefore they can't fight inflation. Now, some of the, the comments Powell made during his press conference, I want to go over because he made a few points that I think were very important. Now, the Fed, according to Jerome Powell, is still going to prioritize employment over inflation. Uh, and that's to help supposedly the little guy in the economy, the lower and the middle class Americans who are unemployed. Now, this actually makes no sense because when you think about it, if the Fed is going to allow inflation to run hot in the in the wake of supporting the unemployment market, inflation is the most burdensome on lower and middle class people, right? It's the people who are already living paycheck to paycheck who are most burdened by inflation. But not only that, but the people who benefit from inflation are the wealthy because as we have higher inflation, again, inflation doesn't just occur in consumer goods. It also occurs in financial assets. Who owns financial assets? The rich, the wealthy. They own stocks. They own real estate. Those real estate and stock values go up as we have higher inflation. And so that benefits the rich and it hurts the middle class. If you're a first time home buyer, house price appreciation is burdensome to you. It's not helpful to you. So when Powell is saying that they're not going to fight inflation if it causes them to not be able to prioritize employment and saying that that they are doing that to help the little guy, it actually makes no sense. It actually hurts the little guy more. But but again, the markets have to see that the Fed is going to prioritize unemployment. Now, it's also pretty much a joke because the other point that I want to make is if you look at our official unemployment numbers, and of course, I've gone over that the official unemployment numbers don't actually capture the real levels of unemployment in our economy. But if you take the unofficial or if sorry, if you take the official unemployment rates, they are near record lows. The unemployment market as measured by unemployment is showing that we are near full employment. So the fact that Powell is saying that they need to continue to prioritize the labor market in its policy rather than prioritize fighting inflation shows you that they're just using that as a smokescreen because they can't fight inflation. The reality is, is as far as unemployment is concerned, the way they measure the official unemployment rate, we are near record lows. And the, you know Powell also mentioned he's now looking at labor force participation which is very ironic because no politicians or central bankers want to consider labor force participation over unemployment when the unemployment numbers benefit them, right? And anytime you hear a politician talk about the economy, they always talk about unemployment because the official unemployment rate is much lower than the official labor force participation rate because the labor force participation rate is much more uh, it's accurate in showing what the real labor force is going through in the American economy. So of course, since unemployment is near record highs, Powell has to say now they're looking at labor force participation, when in the past they would never even consider labor force participation. But again, it's just a smokescreen to give the Fed an excuse not to focus on fighting inflation by ramping up interest rates dramatically. Now, Powell also mentioned that the Fed will look at 
inflationary psychology, uh, such as uh, hoarding or buying in advance. But he mentioned that that one of the big things that can cause inflation is people people's expectations of inflation and that if people expect higher inflation in the future, they'll go out and buy more goods than they otherwise would to either get out of the future price increases of those goods or to avoid supply shortages. And he said that that was something in his last press conference, he said that was something that the Fed would really consider if they start to see that behavior within the economy, then they would recognize that's going to cause much higher inflation, which is true. And that therefore they would ramp up their fighting of inflation if they saw that. Well, as I went over before, the retail sales numbers for the second half of November were extremely disappointing. And the reason being was because most consumers went out in October and November to do their Christmas shopping because they were worried about inflationary pressures. They were worried that either there was not going to be enough supply of goods for them to buy the stuff they needed for Christmas or that the prices were going to continue to increase as we got later on into the year. And so therefore, they went out and bought goods ahead of time. That is inflationary psychology. And that happened, but now the Fed is ignoring it. The Fed said in its last press conference that if that started to happen, they would really focus in on that and take that as a message that they need to start ramping up interest rate hikes to fight inflation. Yet now here it is, and they're not doing anything to act on it. And also, I'm going to go over this a little bit later in the podcast, but we also see a lot of the buy now, pay later companies coming out where consumers can use uh, different companies that give them financing to buy merchandise goods, which allows the consumer to bring forward more purchases that they want, the stuff they want to buy. And that is also showing that consumers are starting to buy a lot more stuff now than wait to buy it in the future. Now, the Fed, according to Powell, also expects inflation to decline uh, closer to their 2% target next year. Now, remember, it's been the Fed's goal since 2018 to maintain an inflation target of 2% a year. Now, we're already above officially, if you go by the CPI, 7% inflation for 2021. And that is almost four times the amount of inflation of the Fed's target. But The thing is, is the Fed has no reason to believe inflation is going to slow down in 2022 unless they actually start to rate to raise interest rates, which, of course, they're not going to do. But there's nothing that's going to happen in the economy naturally that's going to cause price decreases because, again, we're 100 percent reliant on imports and those import prices are increasing month after month after month. And even if you look at the past several months, whether it be the the consumer price index, the producer price index, or import prices, all of those price increases have been getting raised dramatically over the past few months. So the price increases are starting to get bigger and bigger and bigger month after month. The other part of this problem, and again, I've talked about this, is that the producer price index rose a lot more this year than the consumer price index which shows that a lot of businesses have still not passed on the full extent of their rise in costs to their customers. And again, there's a lot of reasons for why companies are hesitant to do this. For one, they want to wait until their competitors raise their prices first, because if they can wait it out until their 
cost their uh, competition raises prices, then they can ra- then raise prices without losing as much market share. But also, again, what has been the narrative for the past year? That inflation is transitory and will go away. And so a lot of companies have been hesitant to pass their price pre- increases on to their customers because they felt that those price increases they were experiencing were temporary. And so instead of raising prices and losing market share, they decided to just eat the extra costs. And they have been saying all CEOs of major companies on earnings calls have been saying if inflation doesn't slow down soon, they're going to start passing their prices on to their customers. But again, a lot of the inflation that is occurring still hasn't even been passed on to the consumer. So why the Fed would believe that inflation is going to cool off in the first half of 2022 is beyond me. My thought is that they don't actually believe that, but they can't actually come out and tell the markets that because then the markets would completely panic. Now, one of the questions that Jerome Powell was asked by one of the reporters was, what if raising rates in 2022 causes an increase in unemployment? Would the Fed still continue to raise uh, rates or would the Fed then consider ramping back its idea of raising rates and then go back to prioritizing the unemployment uh, part of their mandate as opposed to their inflationary portion of their mandate? To which Powell then deflected, as he usually does, he didn't really answer the question. But of course, this is an important point, because if the Fed does start to raise rates in 2022, that is going to cause a drop or or, uh, cause a rise in unemployment, because so many people are employed by businesses that have tons of debt, and they wouldn't be able to employ people if it weren't for that debt. A lot of people, again, are employed by the U.S. federal government. If the federal government has to pay higher levels of interest on its debt, especially the $10 trillion of debt that matures next year, that's less money left over to pay employees, which means a lot of federal government employees would have to be furloughed. But of course, if they start raising rates substantially, that would cause a sharp sharp rise in unemployment. And so that would, of course, make the Fed reverse course. But again, if Powell was to say that that would make the Fed reverse course, then the dollar would drop substantially and import prices would increase even more dramatically. So the Fed can't come out and say that. But of course, that's the answer. Because again, it's been the Fed's goal over the past two decades to to prioritize the labor markets despite any type of inflation that comes out. And with that, they also want to create a wealth effect in the economy. One of the reasons for why the Fed is so concerned about asset prices in the economy is because rising asset prices create a wealth effect, which then cause consumers to spend more money. And again, our entire economy is built on consumer spending. So to the extent that the Fed raises rates and that causes asset prices to fall, such as home equity or stock prices, and there are a record number of Americans in the stock market, by the way. So if stock market prices start to fall, Americans might spend less money because the wealth effect would reverse itself and therefore people would spend less money in the economy. So, of course, the Fed is watching the markets. And if they start to raise interest rates and that causes the market to sell off the same way that that it happened in 2018, right? In 2018, the Fed started to raise rates and said they in 2020 and 2019, they were going to be on autopilot for raising rates. 
the market completely sold off on that. And because of that, there was a reverse wealth effect where people were stop, stopping their spending in the economy. So Powell had to come out in 2019 and reverse that policy in order to get the markets going again. And again, it's not going to be any different this time because none of the factors within the economy have changed, except now we have a lot more debt and the markets are a lot more dependent on low interest rates. Now, to, to wrap up on the Fed press conference, uh, you know, Jerome Powell, again, he sounded much more dovish than the market expected. And so I think that's why we're seeing a rise in the price of gold in the past few days, because I think the markets are realizing that no matter how bad inflation gets, the Fed is not going to raise guidance for raising interest rate hikes in the future. And even if the Fed does start raising rates to fight inflation, again, what is raising interest rates by a quarter percent or half percent or one percent going to do to fight inflation that's well above seven percent officially and in reality is much higher than 15 percent again in 1980 paul volcker to fight inflation had to raise rates to 20 percent but inflation back then wasn't even as bad as it is now 2021 was the highest amount of inflation that the u.s has ever experienced in one year in u.s history so if they're going to start fighting inflation, they're going to have to really ramp up the rate hikes. One or 2% isn't going to do anything to fight that inflation. And again, if they're already behind other central banks in raising rates, that's going to be make the US dollar much less valuable in the currency markets, which means that costs are going to go up even more for Americans. And so the fact that the Fed is so far behind in raising rates is going to be a big problem if other central banks continue to raise rates in the future before the Fed ever gets around to it. Now, one of the things I wanted to go over for this week is the buy now, pay later sector of the economy. Now, this past week, a lot of the buy now, pay later stocks got hit really hard. If you look at a firm, it's down 29% this month. Afterpay down 28% this past month. Square is down 29%. PayPal down 8%. Visa is up 2% in the past month, but that's still an underperformance of the overall markets. MasterCard down 1.7%. And American Express is down 10%. Now, the Visa, MasterCard, and American Express stocks are a bit different than the buy now, pay later stocks, but I put them all in the same basket. But what buy now, pay later stocks are, are they are companies which lend money to consumers to go buy, uh, go buy merchandise. So for instance, Afterpay, you can sign up on Afterpay and they extend you a small line of credit for which you can go buy stuff with at different store locations. And then you pay the money back to them over time, sort of like a credit card. But instead of having the credit card, you just use their, their app. But uh, these have been highly hyped in the market mania that we're going through. The, a lot of these stocks were the big winners uh, two years ago, but um, a lot of them are still up year to date, but we see a lot of selling in them in the past week. Again, a lot of risk assets have gotten sold off in the past week, and it's showing that a lot of investors are starting to wake up and realize, oh, wait, fundamentals actually matter. I have to actually buy companies that have earnings or at least a prospect to have earnings in the future. 
But it turns out that when it comes to the lending business, the buy now, pay later business, what's important about the lending business is not making out loans. It's getting paid back on those loans. So most people have been valuing these companies like Affirm and Afterpay and Square as, oh, the more loans they make out, the better it is. But again, it doesn't matter how many loans you make out if you're not actually getting paid back on the loans. Now, many of the buy now, pay later companies, they don't even run credit checks when they're offering credit lines to their customers. So for instance, if you want to have an Afterpay account, all you do is you just go to the website, you enter your name and your email address, and you now have an account. They don't run a credit check on you. They don't run a background check on you. They have no idea how much, uh, how much debt you actually have, but they extend you a line of credit. And actually, 29% of people that are using these services are using many different uh, companies to get these services. So many Affirm customers who are getting lines of credit from Affirm are also Afterpay customers and also PayPal customers, right? And so they're, they're cycling through these platforms. And the, the problem here is, is when you buy something using, say, Afterpay, you get the merchandise right away and they're giving you a non-recourse loan. So if you default on that loan and you don't pay them back, there's no, there's no way that they can get the money out of you. Now, sure, I mean, they can probably try and sue you, but the problem is, is they're loaning such small amounts of money out to individuals that they, the cost of, of going after people to get the money back is much higher than what amount of money they would actually get back. But the problem is they're making so many loans to so many people. And again, these, these are loans where they're not doing credit checks. There's no credit analysis. They have no idea if people have any intention of paying this money back, right? And again, we live in an environment where you look and you see shoplifting is up everywhere, right? Crime is up everywhere. Who's to say people aren't just taking money from these companies and spending it and they don't even have the intention of paying it back? let alone the ability. So these companies are have a huge amount of credit risk. And I think the market's finally starting to figure it out this week. But, you know, the, the, when you look at it, you know, as inflation continues to rise, consumers are going to have to stretch more and more to make ends meet, right? There are a lot of Americans that are in very desperate economic circumstances. And when they hear about these apps that'll loan you money, again, without a credit check, and on non-recourse loans to buy stuff, of course, a lot of people are going to use these and never pay the loans back. But again, the, the, the most important, most crucial part of the lending business isn't making out loans. It's collecting on the loans, which is why it's so funny when I hear a lot of analysts, if we want to look at the credit card companies now, like Visa, MasterCard, and, and American Express, a lot of analysts think that if the Fed does hike rates, that these are great companies to own because now they can charge more interest to their consumers. But the problem is, is what if these consumers, as interest rates start to rise, can't afford to actually pay their credit card bills? Again, the important thing is not loaning the money out, it's getting paid back. And a lot of Americans, again, are in desperate economic circumstances. They're in debt up to their eyeballs, and they don't just have credit card debt. They have student loans. They have uh, very high rates. Uh, they have very high uh, mortgage levels, personal loans, auto loans, 
Americans are stretched basically as far as they can stretch. And again, a lot of this credit card debt is non-recourse. Again, they can sue you if they want, but if they sue somebody who has no money to pay them, it doesn't matter if they win the lawsuit, right? So a lot of these debts are going to go bad in the next few years, and a lot of people aren't considering that. And especially if interest rates rise, because again, if interest rates rise, a lot of the people that have a lot of home equity or own a lot of stocks, those prices are going to decline. And so they're going to have less money to pay off their credit card bills, right? As interest rates go up, people are going to be able to take out less credit. I mean, the reason a lot of people use credit cards to make ends meet is because they can't borrow money from elsewhere, right? So in other words, if you have to pay off one credit card with your last $500 that you have this month, but you still need to buy groceries, you might open up a different credit card in order to put money on that credit card to buy your groceries. So a lot of that is going to happen and it's going to affect these companies. But again, it just shows the speculative mania we're in, where people just look at how many loans they're making out. They don't actually care about who's paying back these loans or who can't pay back these loans or who won't pay back these loans. But, you know, everyone loves, you know, I watch CNBC and everyone seems to love the financial sector right now. Everyone's investing in a lot of these companies uh, that are buy now, pay later. A lot of the credit cards, the financials, the banks, everyone seems to love all these stocks the same way they did in 2006 and 2007 leading up to the crisis. Now, I'm a bit indifferent on the banks because there is the idea out there that as interest rates rise, they can collect more money uh, from their loans. But there's also the idea out there that they have a lot of loans out there that when interest rates rise and they have to pay their depositors higher levels of interest, they won't be able to afford to pay that those levels of interest because they're already locked in on such low interest rate loans that they're collecting on. But it just is so reminiscent to me of 2006 and 2007 when everyone loves the banks, yet our economy is headed off of a cliff because the Fed can't fight inflation and consumers are getting stretched beyond their means. And again, if the Fed fights inflation, then we're going to have a huge spike in unemployment. And what is that going to do to credit card default rates, right? So again, the banks, the credit cards, the buy now, pay later stocks, I would just stay away from them because again, they're highly dependent on the strength of the consumer and the person's ability to be able to pay back those loans. But to wrap up, uh, you know, most market participants are shifting and starting to get that the Fed is so far behind the inflation curve, and they may not be able to make up enough ground to get ahead of this curve anymore. Again, inflation for 2021 is well over 7% officially, and the Fed is still not even gotten to the point where it can raise rates yet. They still have to stop expanding their balance sheet. Then they have to shrink their balance sheet. Then they can raise rates. They're so far behind the curve. It's not even funny. And it's so, becoming so obvious to people that I think they're starting to recognize that they need to shift from high growth names to value stocks that pay dividends. And pretty soon they're going to be shifting to value stocks that pay dividends that are located in other economies besides the U.S., because the fact that the Bank of England and the ECB can start raising rates well before the Fed can shows that their economies are much healthier, their consumers are much healthier than the U.S. consumer. And so I think for 2022, 
we're going to see a big shift towards emerging market investment. Again, emerging markets have lagged the U.S. economy over the past two decades. And I think we're getting to the point where we're going to start to see that shift back and people are going to be much more interested in owning companies where the consumer in that economy is much more healthier than the consumer in the U.S. But again, this shift in the market is evident in the shift from growth names to value stocks. More uh, financial advisors on CNBC I see now we're starting to shift to low PE stocks that pay dividends, have a long track record for earnings. Again, a lot of people are taking risk off now because they are worried that the Fed either is going to have to raise interest rates substantially to fight inflation or that they won't be able to fight it at all. Gold is now going up on inflation news. Again, it's a sign that the market is changing because people are no longer looking forward to the Fed fighting inflation. More people recognize that the Fed is in a place where they cannot fight inflation without causing a depression. And then if it comes to choosing between a depression or hyperinflation, the Fed is going to choose hyperinflation because that is the more politically sound choice to make. And because the Fed has always been focused on asset price appreciation, the wealth effect and unemployment. And again, 2018 looks very similar to this December. We're not getting a Santa Claus rally in the markets. In fact, the markets are falling. There's a lot of selling going on, especially, again, in risk assets. And remember, in 2018, that was the same exact setup we had going into the new year. And in the new year, the Fed had to reverse its stance on fighting inflation and go back to quantitative easing. And again, Inflation was much lower in 2018 than it is now, and there was a lot less debt in the overall economy then than there is now. So that should be a telltale sign to investors that the Fed will reverse course eventually and decide not to do anything about fighting inflation. Next week, I'm going to put together a podcast. I'm going to go over my stock picks for 2022, both on the long and the short side. So I'll get that put together for next week. Other than that, that's all I have for now. So everyone enjoy their weekends and we'll be back here next week.